praise be to god's holy name such a joy to be in church once again sunday morning i think from a believer's perspective it's not very right to say we go to church on sundays because we are the church so where do we go <laughs> we are the church who which gathers on sunday morning and scattered on the rest of the week so the church always exists and sunday morning 8 o'clock is the time when we all gather together to praise and worship together but the church continues even after the service is over so we always need to keep in mind that we are the church we are the body of christ and wherever we go the church moves hallelujah wherever we go the power of god needs to be manifested wherever we go the holy spirit is at work so let's not forget that uh, let's not you know forget that we are the church and we are the body of christ we are living and alive and moving in the spirit of god doing whatever god wants to do in and through us so most often what happens is the church atmosphere and uh, all that we hear all that we do the experience of the presence of god is contained within the four walls of the church but does not move into the world and our world wherever we are wherever god has put us <clears throat> the bible says be witnesses for me in acts chapter 1 and verse 8 we read that acts chapter 1 and verse 8 but you will receive power when the holy spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem in all judea samaria and to the ends of the world ends of the earth so we wherever god has placed us in our locality in our workplace in the place of our influence that is where we need to be witnesses that is where the church happens that is where the body of christ functions the functioning of the body of christ is more outside the church than within the church building amen Amen. So for a meditation this morning let's turn to the book of Psalms and Psalm number 15. <clears throat> a very familiar psalm. Lord who may dwell in your sanctuary? who may live on your holy hill there's a question there two questions and they are parallel questions very similar questions lord who may dwell in your sanctuary who may live on your holy hill conditions apply that's what we read in most advertisements only for corporates and doctors and what they're selling they're selling cars i think they should change that because they are the most the highly paid people and they they are the people who get the most discounts i think <laughs> so what are the conditions that apply here there is a question in, in verse 1 and from verse 2 to 5 they are the list of the conditions that is listed out this is the answer to the question that is set in front of us from verse 2 up to 5 or maybe half of the first part of 5 is all the conditions that need to be met to fulfill the question in number 
and the conclusion, the reward uh, about the whole process of being in the sanctuary of God is, is in the last line of this chapter. It says, he who does these things will never be shaken. Hallelujah. If that's the life that we are looking for, a well-established life in Christ, these are the things that we need to look into. And I've taken some portions from the life of David, which fulfills all these conditions that are written down here. So, <clears throat> I'll, uh, we'll, I think we can read out uh, one after the other the conditions that are listed out here. Shall we begin? Uh, maybe uh, Stephen can start one by one. So, the first condition would be Yes. The second one. He does what is righteous. Yes. I think it's difficult to pass the mic around for this. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then? Yes. Honors those who fear the Lord. Yes. Yes. So how many conditions are here? Has anybody counted them? Twelve conditions, is it? Or eleven conditions? Eleven? Okay. <laughs> Whatever it is. So when this question comes to every one of us, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live in your, on your holy hill? It's repeated twice because of the reinforcement of the, the emphasis that God wants us to realize about dwelling in his presence, about dwelling in his sanctuary. It's not about visiting it once, once a week or twice a week or once a month or only during Christmas and Easter. How often do we visit the sanctuary of God? Or do we dwell there? So the two different things that we do it's like taking a vacation. You know, we live somewhere and summertime when it becomes very hot, take a vacation to some place where we feel better. Is that the way that we come to the sanctuary of God? Just to feel better, feel good. We have some troubles, we have some health issues, we have some financial problems. So how do I feel better? Let's go to the church. Let's experience God a bit. And maybe he will speak to us. Maybe there'll be a prophetic word. Maybe there'll be something for me from the message that'll comfort me, that'll speak into my situation. That is like taking a vacation into the presence of God in a sanctuary. That is not really dwelling in his presence. So, how do we come to dwell in his presence? So that's a question this morning. I have a long message and a lot of passages to be read. So, 
we'll have to keep turning the word of God. So the most important thing is to continue to dwell in his presence. Continuously dwelling in his presence. It doesn't mean that we'll have to leave all our you know, responsibilities, our jobs, our education and everything and come and sit in church. No. Being in the presence of God is to feel the presence of God, to have the spirit of God dwelling in us and having an interaction with God all the time. Otherwise, we'll be just coming into the sanctuary of God like a temporary dwelling place. You know, <clears throat> we used to live here when we first got married. And then when Nathaniel was born, we didn't have enough space. So we moved to one place in Koratur. And then we lived there for some time. That was too small. Then we moved to another place in Mogaper. And that, become, uh, that became, you know, not too comfortable. And now we again we moved to one place in Koratur, a little bit larger place. This is like moving from one place to the other. Is that how we are seeing the dwelling place of God? Some spiritual benefit. I need to know God. I need to fear God so that I'll be blessed. A spiritual benefit or a material benefit, a physical benefit. I need something to happen in my life. My life needs to get settled or I need to buy a house or I need a promotion, a financial benefit. If I give to God, then I'll be blessed. My finances will improve. God loves a cheerful giver. So every time I come and try to be cheerful in what I give, so that I'll be blessed. Or some emotional benefit. I have some relationship problems. And I can't go anywhere else except to the house of God. That's where I get that benefit. And a family benefit. My children need to obey me. Who else can I uh, you know, teach my children good morals? Where else? So I need to send them to Sunday school. So that's a family benefit. See, the, so many benefits are there by coming to church. But that is not dwelling in his presence. That's very different. Temporary dwelling in his presence will take us nowhere. We won't, uh, you know, enjoy the presence of God, nor will we be able to fulfill God's plan in our life continuously. To dwell is to dwell in a spirit. Have a dwelling place there. It's not to just come and sing and say, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. That's a great song, but we need to be always in his sanctuary. Always dwelling there. Always experiencing the presence of God, the power of God in our lives. Hearing from God every day, day to day, in a day to day basis. <clears throat> Is to maintain a lifestyle. Maintain a lifestyle of dwelling in the presence of God. It's not like taking a vacation. When you're in your own place, in your own dwelling place, you have to cook the food. But if you're on vacation, you, you can go to a restaurant. That's exciting, but you, there's no use. It's not like how it is at home. In your own dwelling place, you will have to maintain everything. You are the maintenance man. But in, when you're on vacation, the housekeeping will do that job for you. We, 
in our dwelling place, we'll have to do work to preserve that status of having a continual dwelling place. On vacation, there's no work. All that we do is sit and gaze at a mountain or at a valley or a seaside. There's no work. But in your own dwelling place, you'll have to work to keep your, to preserve your status. So being in the presence of God, dwelling in a sanctuary is not being idle. We have work to do. We have to follow God. We have to know his statutes. We have to learn them. We have to obey them. We have to teach them to our, to our children. So that the next generation will know what it is to dwell in the house of God. Dwell in, in a sanctuary. At home. At workplace. Wherever we go. It's important to realize the presence of God. Feel the presence of God. Even when we are out. When, even when we are vacationing. Even there we can feel the presence of God. We can pray. We can seek his face. We can see visions. We can hear. We can read the word of God and feel and, uh, you know, uh, there are so many wonderful things that can happen. It, I've experienced that even on vacation. God has given me so many strategies, so many plans about what to do next. When we sat together and when we prayed, when we spent time. And most often, you know, we'll have a time of fellowship, you know, in the evenings. When we've seen, gone, gone for all the sightseeing and come back to the hotel room. Sit down and spend at least an hour, you know, just worshipping the Lord and praying and, you know, speaking in tongues and, you know, it used to be a glorious experience. So wherever we may be, whatever be the condition of our life, we can still choose to dwell in His presence. There might be ups and downs. It's not like you're always going up and up just because we are in the presence of God, just because we are dwelling in the sanctuary. There will be ups and downs. But those are the pa paths through which God takes us. If we think that, you know, dwelling in the presence of God will just take us higher and higher and higher and there won't be any challenges, it's, it's a wrong perception. But through the ups and downs, we still choose to dwell in His presence, still choose to be in His sanctuary. Come what may, I choose to dwell in the presence of God. I choose to dwell in his house. I choose to dwell in his sanctuary. I choose to interact with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it's not, of course we are victorious, but only challenges will bring us the victory. So, even through all that, we have to be determined, I'm not going to go and seek human help. I'm going to seek God's help. I'm going to be in His presence. I'm going to seek the direction for my life from God, not from what people around tell me. So what is your address today? Where do you dwell? A, B, C, D. Like how I told you, I've been shifting homes so many times. And some people, they ask me, how come you are you're on the construction field? How come you are living in a rented house? How come you haven't built your own house? But whether it's rented house or own house, without dwelling in his presence, what's the point? You know, we can have a huge mansion, but without the presence of God, what difference does it make in our lives? 
but i rem- i believe on this one word which says in acts chapter 17 acts chapter 17 <coughs> and verse 24 uh, 25 26 can someone read that acts chapter 17 from one man amen you can read that verse 26 once again amen the exact places where they should live that is determined by god so whether it's a small house a large house or rented place or own place that doesn't make any difference those square feet of the house does not make any difference it's the presence of god that makes the difference in our homes so the house of god dwell in the house of god where is the house of god yes here of course and also our homes wherever you go we carry the presence of god we are the carriers of the presence of god but if we keep traveling from one house to the other from the house of god to the house of scorners mockers to the house of unbelief to the house of negative words to the house of unfaithfulness and then again come back to the house of god it's a cycle many people go through that they travel all over the place and once in a while visit the house of god be in the presence of god for some time and then it all vanishes that shouldn't be the practice with us always in the same house in the house of god that's where that is our dwelling place we turn to psalm chapter 27 the psalmist describes this so beautifully psalm chapter 27 all of us know this psalm chapter 27 and verse 4 one thing i ask of the lord this is what i seek that i may dwell in the house of the lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the lord and to seek him in his temple yes one thing i ask of the lord this anything that we have to ask of the lord we have to ask this this one thing one thing i ask of the lord that is what i seek that's what we read in the new testament jesus taught seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness that i may dwell in the house of the lord all the days of my life you can underline that word says all the days all the days but if we keep traveling we lose the blessing of god we lose the purpose of why god created us the purpose for which he has saved us the purpose for which he has written our names in the book of life the purpose for which god has kept us in a particular place in a particular family all that will be lost not lost in the sense completely destroyed but we won't be able to fulfill the plan of god totally in our lives 
maybe we may not realize that too much but one day when we stand before god we'll see how the petty things of this life the cares and the you know the anxieties of this life has drawn us away from the presence of god and how much we have lost how much blessing that we could have experienced and how many people could have been saved and touched and transformed through our lives have been missed and that will be very regretful at that time but we can't do anything so now is the time to think and to reflect upon our lives and say lord i want to dwell to dwell is to be continuous continuous continually be in the presence of god Psalm chapter 61 and verse 4 I long to dwell yeah I will abide in your tabernacle forever I will trust in the shell of your wings Amen I long to dwell in your tent forever forever That is our longing that is a deep desire more than the prayers that are yet to be answered we are, of course we are longing for that nothing wrong with that but this longing has to supersede every other longing that we have in our life so when you think about what is that one particular thing we are longing for every one of us will have so many different things that we are longing for but there's one thing that is common for all of us that supersedes every individual longing that we have is a longing to dwell in the house of god i long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings psalm chapter 63 and verse 2 again i have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory that's what god wants us to experience one day when isaiah was in the temple of god he experienced that we can turn to isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 in the year the king uzziah died i saw the lord high and exalted seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple amen he saw the lord when he was in the temple full of glory and the glory of god is described even further and that's the place he was commissioned in verse 8 we read then i heard the voice of the lord saying whom shall i send and who will go for us and i said here am i send me he said go and tell this people be ever hearing but never understanding be ever seeing but never perceiving amen that's not a good message it's not a good prophecy <laughs> but when he was dwelling in the presence of god he was commissioned for a purpose and that was the purpose of his life and to go and preach the word of god to go and caution the people of god to go and draw them back to god 
that's what will happen when we long to be in the presence of god we will receive the message that is needed for the people around us every one of us have to carry a particular message to the people who are around us and we are unable to do that because we don't dwell in the presence of god because our dwelling in the presence of god is so infrequent we have not yet received what we need to receive there's a message for every one of us that we need to pass on to someone but we fail to receive it because we don't spend time because our focus is on too many different things but when we come back into the presence of god and say lord whatever you have for me what is the message that you have for me that you want me to take it out to the people around me when we make that prayer god will say go and tell this people go and tell this people that's what jesus said go and tell go and baptize go and preach go and proclaim the word of god go and deliver people open the blind eyes open the deaf ears go and caution them go and rebuke them these are the different kinds of messages that we will receive it's not always prophesying the good things but when we are in the presence of god we'll receive a word from him that only we can carry but if when we become unavailable for that god is going to use somebody else and we will lose all that god has in store for us so we got to be cautious psalm chapter 65 and verse 4 says blessed are those who you choose and bring near to live in your courts we are filled with the good things of your house of your holy temple amen good things there is nothing but good things in the house of god there's nothing but good things in the presence of god there is nothing but joy there's nothing but joy so why should we lose it why should we let it go why should we why should we sleep why not wake up why not you know bring a practice why should our life go you know here and there why shouldn't we discipline our lives to be in the presence of god why shouldn't we wake up a little bit more early why shouldn't we spend a little more time in the night why shouldn't we if there are good things in the temple of god blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts we are filled with the good things of your house of your holy temple there is nothing but good things we'll never regret that we have spent time praying we'll never regret that we have wasted time fasting and praying or worshiping god we'll never regret because it opens a door for the presence of god to come in a, come into our lives psalm chapter 84 verse 1 to 4 psalm chapter 84 how lovely is your dwelling place o lord almighty my soul yearns even faints for the courts of the lord my heart and my flesh cry out for the living god 
Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Amen. Hallelujah. Even the sparrow has found a home. Jesus talks about the sparrow in the New Testament. No? The eye of the sparrow. So how much he is concerned about us. That when we choose to come into his presence, when we choose to dwell in his presence, when we earn for the presence of God, that is what God is seeing. What kind of a desire do we have? What kind of a passion do we have? Are we passionate for the things of this world? Or are we passionate for God and his presence? So when we have that earning, when we have the desire, the strong desire, when will I go and meet with God? The psalmist says in another place, when can I go and meet with God? When can I speak to him? When will he speak to me? When will I have a conversation with him? When that is the kind of desire that we have, everything is taken care of. Everything. Even the sparrow has found her home. The swallow a nest for herself where she may have a young, a place near your altar. Everything is around the altar. Everything is around there. Around the house of God. All blessings will descend upon us. Everything that we need for this life. Everything that we are desiring for. God will fulfill when our heart is for him. Okay, going back to Psalm chapter 15. Let's go and see what the conditions are. The first condition, he whose walk is blameless. They take, talk about the life of David. We turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. One Samuel chapter sixteen. David enters into the scene, and how does he do? He doesn't come by himself. He doesn't even know what's happening there. Samuel has come to the house of Jesse. He is going to anoint one of his sons as king, and Jesse calls all of his sons, and. One by one, they began to come in to meet Samuel. And verse 6 says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Samuel is already a prophet of God. But here David, totally hidden from the public eye, he has a close walk with God when he is shepherding his sheep, when he is all alone by himself, when there's no one watching what he is doing. And he was taking care of a lot of sheep. And um, one time what happened? The lion came. And another time, a bear came. So why did he have to go and fight the lion and the bear? After all, one sheep, of course, he has to give an account to his dad when he gets back home. 
can always say i don't know what happened maybe it went away went astray but he his walk was blameless he was accountable for everything he risked his own life to save the sheep that's the kind of blameless walk he did and i think some of the psalms that we read might have been sung when he was all alone by himself worshiping god and out in the open why i'm saying this is because samuel a prophet of god couldn't recognize the anointed one but it was david when he says here the lord said to samuel do not consider his appearance or his height many people are on external is it's great when you look at them the kind of lifestyle they the the holiness that they display outside is great but if a walk has to be blameless it has to be blameless both in public and private that's one of the key things that the first thing that we read in the conditions is whose walk is blameless because man looks at the outer external appearance but god looks at the heart so how blameless we are is rated by god he knows he knows where we stand do not look at the things man looks at man looks at the outward appearance but god looks at the, the lord looks at the heart and jesse brings all of them but samuel says no the lord has not chosen any of these and finally jesse remembered that david is out there and then they call him and as soon as david comes in david is anointed as king that is very critical for our lives being blameless it's easy to put on a show outside but on the inside god knows everything that is going on so walk is blameless we need to check that is my walk blameless we can do many things and put on a show but god knows what's behind the mask that's very important for us verse 2 what does who does what is right who does what is right first samuel chapter 17 david and goliath david was a little boy but when the challenge came from the philistines against the israelites the people who worshiped jehovah he just couldn't keep quiet he came there to deliver um food for his brothers he came to just check how the war was going on we read that in 17 chapter 17 and verse 17 now jesse said to his son david take this efa of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp and 18 Ta- take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit see how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them that's all he's supposed to do what is the task of david here go and give the food bring back news bring back good news if possible that is all he is supposed to do did jesse send him and say there's a huge giant there you better go kill him and come no his task was to deliver food and bring back some good news that's all he is supposed to do but david realized he had, he had to do what was right 
so never you know think twice about doing what is right even if people around are not going to be happy about it do what is right and so david comes here he delivers the food and what does he do verse 26 when david asked the men standing near him what will be done for the man who kills this philistine and removes this disgrace from israel who is this uncircumcised philistine that he should defy the armies of the living god you can read up to um 29 they repeated to him what they have been saying and told him this is what will be done for the man who kills him when eliab david's oldest brother heard him speaking with the men he burned with anger at him and asked why have you come down here and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert i know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is how uh, is you came down only to watch the battle now what have i done said david can't i even speak it's an amazing conversation david and his brother eliab when god sees david's heart and sees that he is blameless see what this man has to say he said i know how conceited you are how wicked your heart is and you came down only to watch the battle this is the kind of response when we will get when we do start doing things right nobody is going to applaud us no bookcase only brickbats elia be burned with anger i wish he had just burned down there that's a kind of irritation that's a kind of thing that comes into people's hearts and minds when they see it, when somebody is doing right but with all this david did not stop he could have got upset his brother and okay to hell with you guys i'm going back home no he spoke to some some more people verse 30 then he turned away into someone else and brought up the same matter and the men answered him as before so he, he will not stop doing right that is the way david david's character was he will not stop and somebody took him to saul and saul suggested something you wear my armor and my you know where is that in uh, 38. 38 then saul dressed david in his own tunic he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head david fastened on a sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them he was not used to them because he was not a soldier he was not used to the armor he was not used to the sword he, all that he knew was sling and stone but the, the other funny thing is and they gave him saul's armor saul's armor no one can wear even the soldier cannot wear because this he is a very tall man you remember that saul is a head above everyone so he is a uh, triple xl i don't know what it is how can he <laughs> try to fit that in you know, a small boys for uh, thing impossible so he was not used to all this he removed everything sorry all this not possible i'll go with my sling and my stone he knew to do what is right so that is what god is expecting from every one of us irrespective of what people around us say keep continuing continuing to do what is right 
and that will bring us into the presence of god that will give us the victory it's not the size of saul or nor it's the size of golath for david both of them are giants both of them were enemies saul also was an enemy golath also an enemy but he continued to do what is right and that is commendable to david okay the next point psalm chapter 15 who speaks the truth from his heart who speaks the truth from his heart we have to choose to speak the truth from a heart even if it hurts even if it's uh, not to our advantage we still we need to speak the truth proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 a familiar verse for all of us proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13 he who conceals his sins does not prosper but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy amen who are confesses and renounces so the first part is easy we realize that we have committed sin but confess and renounce confess to whom confess to whom confess to god that's the easiest part <laughs> and that's what we always do it's very easy to confess to god but it's very difficult to confess to someone else and say i've done this sin the renouncing part comes after that but if we have confessed to god and if we are able to confess to man the renouncing is even more easier that's what i believe so second samuel again from the life of david second samuel chapter 24 sorry second cham second samuel chapter 12 second samuel chapter 12 verse 12 to 14 you did it in secret but i will do this thing in broad daylight before all israel then david said to nathan i have sinned against the lord nathan replied the lord has taken away your sin you are not going to die but because by doing this you have made the enemies of the lord show utter contempt the son born to you will die amen <clears throat> we all make mistakes we all commit sin sometimes we keep committing the same sin over and over again presumptuously presumptuously if we keep committing the same sin over and over again it's called transgression here when nathan came and confronted david david could have given number of excuses it was not my fault i was pushed into doing something wrong or so many excuses he could have given or he could have just denied it said who are you to ask me i am the king but when nathan came and confronted david he said i have sinned against the lord he confessed his sin 
speak the truth from his heart one who speaks the truth from his heart will be in the presence of god because of acknowledging his sin he was able to come back he was able to find compassion with god and because of that because of speaking the truth the lord gave him solomon whom the lord loved and when he confessed then nathan says you will not die others for a sin like this maybe god would have struck him dead speaking the truth from our heart not from our lips speaking the truth from our lips could be sometimes even half truth but when we speak it from the heart that's why it says speak the truth from his heart one who speaks the truth from his heart is fully convinced and fully convicted of everything that he is going to say of the confession that he is going to make otherwise it will be a half hearted confession that is the you know blessing or speaking the truth from the heart not only in this case again in second samuel chapter 24 What does David do? Chapter one, uh, chapter twenty-four, and verse one. Again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and He incited David against them, saying, "Go and take a census of Israel and Judah." So, there's a wrong thing to do because he did not trust God enough, and he wanted to see his strength. He wanted to see what his bank balance was. He wanted to again review all his possessions, what all he owns, without. you know putting his trust in god and god was displeased with that and then god uh, disaster came verse 10 david was conscience stricken after he had counted the fighting men and he said to the lord i have sinned greatly in what i have done now o lord i beg you take away the guilt of your servant i have done a very foolish thing amen see what the king says i've done a very foolish thing nobody will admit that nobody nobody will admit to another person saying i've done a foolish thing they might say i've done an unwise thing just to butter it up a little bit but nobody will declare to another person i've done a foolish thing but when he says this it reflects his heart he speaks the truth from his heart straight black and white no gray <clears throat> verse 17 when david saw the angel who was striking down the people he said to the lord i am the one who has sinned and done wrong these are but sheep what have they done let your hand fall upon me and my family amen this is again a beautiful reflection a pure reflection of the heart of david he saying see he takes ownership for what he has done he saying i am the one who has sinned and done wrong why should somebody else be punished normally 
you know workplace culture what happens somebody makes a mistake they'll immediately see to who with who else can i share this if i make a mistake i look for two three subordinates with whom i can share the mistake so that everybody gets the blame as a team so it's team effort so <laughs> team the whole team will be blamed it's much easier to take than to pull up one person and say what have you done but he was not willing to share he said all israel has committed sin anyway i am also one of them no he said i am the one who has sinned i am the one who has sinned and done wrong these are but sheep he he makes everybody else innocent and he takes the blame on him alone what have they done let your hand fall upon me and my family what a statement what a bold statement what a bold declaration that is why that is because he is a man who was seeking the lord he was dwelling in his presence so even in the midst of the ups and downs in his life so beautifully it reflects how he would chose to speak the truth from his heart when that happens things begin to change yes we all do wrong we commit mistakes we do sin but when we speak the truth from our heart that brings us back that not does not take us away brings us back favor of god is upon us grace of god is sufficient for us draws us back to him but if it's that's not the case it will draw us away from god okay going on the fourth condition no slander in his tongue no slander second samuel chapter 1 from verse 7 17 to 27 david took up this lament concerning saul and his son jonathan and ordered that the men of judah be taught this lament of the bow your glory o israel lies slain on your heights how the mighty have fallen tell it not in gath proclaim it not in the streets of ashkelon lest the daughters of the philistines be glad lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice i think that's enough <clears throat> that's a core verse here your glory o israel lies slain in your heights how the mighty have fallen tell it not in gath proclaim it not in the streets of ashkelon that was david's stand when saul died saul was his enemy saul was hunting for david's life so many times he tried to kill him david had to run for his life but in the midst of all this when saul died and now god has god said i've snatched the kingdom away from saul and i'm giving it to david so it's a prophecy fulfillment so what should david do he must rejoice praise god now the prophecy has been fulfilled in my life what an amazing god i serve now that's that could have been the expression but a man who dwells in the sanctuary of god 
won't have that expression. He says, tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad. Instead of that, he could even said, oh, how sad, Saul. He was a nice man, but he died. What to do? The wages of sin is death. That's what the word of God says. No one can help it. That was not the approach. That was not his, you know, that's not what he said. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the enemy rejoice. See the, the big picture that he had. All because of being in the presence of God. His perspective is very different from the perspective of others, even his own brothers or Saul or anyone else because he was a man who longed to be in the presence of God. Okay. One who does his neighbor no wrong. The next condition. In one place, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. That is what God says. First Samuel chapter 24. There's two places where David, there's several times Saul wanted to kill David. But the two times when he went chasing after David was, and the significant part of it was that both these times, David had the opportunity to kill Saul, but he didn't. So that is what we're going to see, see now. Who does his neighbor no wrong? First Samuel chapter 24 and verse 22. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home. But David Sorry. had his... Uh, I think we should read from... But he won't touch the Lord's anointed. Um, six. Yeah. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. Yes. So, uh, it's amazing to see Saul is anointed, David is also anointed. But this man is, you know, out to take out David's life. But he still recognized the anointing that was upon Saul and he respected him for that, for his kingship. The, the need to grab the power from Saul could have been there for anybody else. Because it was the right opportunity which God has given us. If he loses this, maybe he could have even thought... Is it the will of God if I don't kill Saul? You know, sometimes God says, go and kill enemy nations, go and fight. But is it one of those situations when, if it's, is it God's will that I should kill Saul? So that I will lead Israel in the right way, that I will be faithful, I will you know, build up Israel, I will make a name for God. And all that. But he knew that it was not the Lord's time for Saul to be removed from the scene. He knew. That is because he was in the presence of God. 
and so he says i will not do this even though people around him encouraged him to do it he still refrained from doing it that was once and then the second time was chapter 26 was 1 to 21 the whole thing <clears throat> again david says in verse 9 but david said to abishai don't destroy him who can lay a hand on the lord's anointed and be guiltless yes so in the previous verse we read there's another man he also talks in the same similar lines abishai said to david abishai said to david read that please Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him down to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. Yes, because that is the pattern in which God was delivering the people of Israel. No king was spared. The king of Jericho, the king of Ai, God cut off all the enemies before Joshua and before David also. But at this point, at this juncture, what does he do this man says today god has delivered your enemy in his ha- in your hands perfect but that was not god's plan for that point of time but uh, see the difference between abishai and david because david was a man who spent time in the presence of god he could recognize that this is not the time and so he says don't do this and then <clears throat> they move away from that place the next one cast no slur on his fellow men one who cast no slur on his fellow men psalm 15 just to refresh where we are so you'll know how many points are left psalm chapter 15 <clears throat> who cast no slur on his fellow men we count the balance and you'll know how much time it's going to take <laughs> yes we know about one man who cursed david that is uh, what's his name shimei <clears throat> second samuel chapter 16 verse 5 As King David approached Bahurim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gera, and he cursed as he came out. Number one issue is he's from Saul fa- Saul's family, so there itself he's eligible to be killed. On top of it, cursed as he came out. C- can you imagine that scene? constantly cursing allowed not only that what did he do he threw stones how dare he pelted david and all the king's officials with stones though all the troops and special guard were on david's right and left as he cursed shimei said get out get out you man of blood you scoundrel the lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of saul in whose place you have reigned <coughs> So what do you do for a man like this? <coughs> David sh- should have shouted back. <coughs> Immediately called one of his aides and cut off the man's head. 
that's what one man wanted to do abishai son of zeruya <coughs> verse 9 then abishai son of zeruya said to the king <coughs> why should this dead dog curse my lord the king let me go over and cut off his head continue but the king said what do you and i have in common you sons of zeruya if he is cursing because the lord said said to him curse david who can ask why do you do this amen can you imagine this see the heart of david he is allowing some nobody to say all kinds of nonsense and he still keeps quiet and he says if god has permitted it let him do it is a man who was careful not to slur anyone it's easier not to slur we don't have to slur anyone who speaks good about us or even who doesn't say anything about us but we have all the urge to talk bad about someone who's talking bad about us there's nothing wrong in it that's what the world says he is doing he is making all kinds of false accusations accusations against me talking behind my back i need to go and tell justify myself to 10 people that they are wrong not even cast a slur but even to justify we all want to do that no what will they think what will they say they will get the wrong picture this is not what happened actually only if i go and explain things will be cleared only if i explain my name will be vindicated my reputation will be protected but when we are in the presence of god and the spirit of god is within us we don't have to do anything he will vindicate us he will fight our battles he will speak on our behalf we don't even have to say anything <clears throat> there's one more person who came across david's life his name is mehibosheth second samuel chapter 9 mehibosheth a descendant a son of saul even though saul saul you know wanted to kill david he said so many things he uh, told jonathan don't be a fool as long as david is there you won't get the kingdom all that he was you know casting so many wrong uh, so much of hatred towards david he saul poured out to jonathan and mehibosheth also would have been one of them who heard it but now see how it happens verse 6 when mehibosheth son of jonathan the son of saul came to david he bowed down to pay him honor david said mehibosheth your servant he replied don't be afraid david said to him for i will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father jonathan i will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather saul and you will always eat at my table amen amen see the man whose heart is like the heart of god you know you'll always eat at my table 
totally totally opposite of what Saul is all about is who David is David brings him and all the days of his life he was eating at the king's table verse 13 and maybe boshet lived in jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet amen hallelujah that is the kind of character who david was he did not take vengeance he did not cast a slur on his fellow man he considered him uh, equal to him he did not demean him in any way because of the actions of his grandfather but he said you'll always eat at my table that's the kind of attitude he had the next condition one who despises a wild man a wild man a wicked man second samuel chapter 3 talks about the sons of zeruiah it's about joab second samuel chapter 3 verse 21 then abner said to david let me go at once and assemble all israel for my lord the king so that they may make a compact with you and that you may rule over all that your heart desires so david sent abner away and he went in peace so abner was reconciled with david he was part of what david was doing but here comes one man called joab joab and what he did he was a wicked man although he was david's main commander the chief commander verse 27 it says when abner returned to hebron joab took him aside into the gateway as though to speak with him privately and there to avenge the blood of his brother ashel joab stabbed him in the stomach and he died the sons of zeruiah ashel joab and abishai they were wild men they killed others in peace time so David gives an instruction to Solomon when he became king in 1 Kings chapter 2 if you read that 1 Kings chapter 2 verse 5 and 6 Now you yourself know what Joab son of Zeruiah did to me what he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies Abner son of Ner and Amasa son of Jether he killed them shedding their blood in peace time as if in battle and with that blood stained the belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet deal with him according to your wisdom but do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace yes <clears throat> the sons of zeruiah zeruiah is actually sister of david it reads in one place i don't remember where it is now so his own sister's children joab ashel and abishai they killed people in peace time as if in war and david says don't leave them alone see one side saul died he so regretful he takes a lament for him on the other hand he says these are the guys who were with david 
but there's no favoritism within oh these are all our people those are all there let them get killed that's okay our people should be protected no he was honest with everyone as it is there was no favoritism at all whatever is right is right whatever is wrong is wrong there's no no mincing so he instructs solomon don't leave him alone <clears throat> because he did wrong things wicked things despises one who despises the wild man one who speaks what is right he'll be found in the presence of god the next condition one who honors those who fear the lord one who honors those who fear the lord second samuel chapter 19 31 to 40 is a character whom we don't pay much attention to but he is an amazing man second samuel chapter 19 31 to 40 it's a long passage we can cut it down maybe two verses 31 and 32 bazilai the gileadite also came down from rogelim to cross the jordan with the king and to send him on his way from there now bazilai was a very old man 80 years of age he had provided for the king during his stay in mahanaim for he was a very wealthy man so he was a man who you know favored david so much he was with them in times of need when david had to run away from the kingdom because of absalom barzillai took care of the king he was a man who feared the lord and david wants to honor this man barzillai and in first kings chapter 2 and verse 7 First Kings chapter two and verse seven. But show kindness to the sons of Barzillai of Gilead, and let them be among those who eat at your table. They stood by me when I fled from your brother Absalom. Amen. He remembers this man, Barzillai, and he honors him. His sons are also permitted to eat with him along with Solomon in the king's table. So. think about the people he a very obscure man barzillai you we miss it when we read it such an obscure character in the whole life of david but he remembered the man who honored god and who was with him when times of in times of trouble and he says show kindness to the sons of barzillai of gilead a, a person who dwells in the presence of god will honor and respect even people who are much below our status much below even maybe spiritual life or whatever it is worldly status it's not about what kind of background they are from but uh, honor those who fear the lord that will be a blessing finally we already read about it one who keeps his oath david was a man who kept his oath second samuel chapter 21 it's again about mehibosheth second samuel chapter 21 was 1 to 7 During the reign of David there was a famine for three successive years so David saw the face of the Lord the Lord said it is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house it is because he put the Gibeonites to death the king summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them now the Gibeonites were not a part of Israel but were survivors of the Amorites The Israelites had sworn to spare them but Saul in his zeal for Israel and Judah had tried to annihilate them. 
David asked the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? How shall I make amends so that you will bless the Lord's inheritance? The Gibeonites answered him, we have no right to demand silver or gold from Saul or his family, nor do we have the right to put anyone in Israel to death. What do you want me to do for you? David asked. They answered the king, as for the man who destroyed us and plotted against us so that we have been decimated and have no place anywhere in Israel, let seven of his male descendants be given to us to be killed and exposed before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the Lord's chosen one. So the king said, I will give them to you. The king spared Mabiboseth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the oath before the Lord between David and Jonathan, son of Saul. Yes. So we read this. We all know what it says. In the midst of the compulsion of the Gibeonites, he didn't give up Mehibosheth because of the oath that he has made. So that's the kind of lifestyle he led. Even if it cost him something, he wouldn't do it because of the oath that he has made. <clears throat> the next one. Who lends his money, who does not accept a bribe. Two points. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 24. This is after David pleaded with the Lord and God stopped the calamity that was coming against Israel because he counted his troops. The last chapter of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 18 onwards, it says, On that day Gad went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing fold of Arona, the Jebusite. So David went up and as the Lord commanded through Gad, when Arwana looked and saw the king and his men were coming towards him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Arwana said, why has, the Lord, why has my lord the king come to his servants? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so that I can build an altar to the lord, the plague of the people may be stopped. Arwana said to David, let my lord, the king, take whatever pleases to him and offer it up. Let the oxen, here are the oxen for the burnt offering. Here are the threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. O king, Arona gives all this to the king. Arona also said to him, may the lord your God accept you. But the king replied to Arona, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered prayer on behalf of the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. Amen. He is the king. Everything belongs to him. And here is a man who is willing to give it to the king with all his heart. He did not give it grudgingly. He wanted to give it to the Lord because an altar is going to be built there. But David is a man of integrity. Just because he's offering it free. Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> I'll take it and use it for the glory of God. It's for God's uh, purpose that you're given. And so may God bless you and your children and your generations to come. He did not take it like that. But he said, I'll pay you for this. And then he paid the money. The man who, you know, man of integrity, who lends his money, who does not accept a bribe, but who pays for what it costs, he paid it. He paid and he brought that threshing floor. And when he built an altar there, that eventually became the place where the 
Temple of Solomon was built later. See what it brings. A man who dwelled, uh, who continuously dwells in the house of God, in the sanctuary, in the presence of God, finally what happened resulted in a glorious temple that Solomon built and the glory of God descended into, the, into that place and the priest could not minister because the presence and the glory of God filled the temple. And that's the place where God says, my ears and my ears, my eyes are open to this place always. You can read that in Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Verse 12. The Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. Up to uh, 16. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. What a blessing. What a blessing. That's the kind of thing that culminated finally because of one man who chose to dwell in the presence of God. And if we are like David, imagine how glorious, how blessed our life will be. Here, again, it's a temple built by human hands, what Solomon did. But when Jesus came, he said, here is one who is more glorious than Solomon's temple. He's in our midst. He's in, he's in our hearts. And we, are, we ourselves are the temple of the living God. And if we continue to dwell in him, we'll be so blessed. And our generations to come will be blessed. And God will do glorious things in our lives. Praise God.